Hey everybody, if you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world, ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com slash community and check it out today. So we were talking <laughs> earlier this week about that article that came out that has kind of been bounced around the interwebs and people have been talking about it on, on, on the Facebook and the Twitter sphere about how there, you know, people seem to be jumping a little too far when it comes to monitoring or the sports science, as they like to call it, um, as though sports science is something that just started in the last five to ten years. Like, no one's been looking scientifically at athletics forever. Um, so let's talk about that for a bit. Let's, uh, let's kind of go back up, talk about what the article was, and then go from there. Well, I, I completely understand the point the article makes because the article is basically arguing that it's really easy to get sucked into data, right? Like you can fall down the rabbit hole in terms of looking at numbers. And uh, data is tricky because you can manipulate data in all kinds of ways to basically have it say whatever it is you want it to say. I mean, that's a historical thing, right? Like people do that all the time. Um, what I think though gets lost in the article is is the major point of sports science, which it's kind of funny because I don't feel it's actually science. The major point about sports science is actually about being an artist or about being creative um, and finding ways to use factual information. But you have to take then that data and apply it in a non, non-linear, non-specific, non-group fashion. It's got to be individualistic. You have to understand the athlete. You have to understand the coaching climate, the culture. There's a lot of non-data things that go into scientific data analysis and sports science. And, and I think that's kind of where um, I disagree with the, the article's conclusion, because I think there's a huge movement in that, and that you just have to be careful of you can't take anything data-wise too literally. Yeah, and I'll kind of piggyback off that, because when we look at all of those things kind of lined up and how they're talking about you know, the multitude of questionnaires and HRV and GPS and accelerometry and heart rate and blah and blah and blah and blah. 
and they say that it starts to take away from the athletes, I think that what we're trying to do with these things is exactly 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And I think that if it ever became something where, say, we were working together in a team setting and you were the high performance manager and I was the coach and things started to paralyze or inhibit what we were doing, I think both of us would probably take a step back and be like, what are we actually looking at here? What can we do? What's important? Right. You know, and, and go from there. And I think a lot of things, too, is uh, a lot of people will, will try and take data or they'll take new information. I got a new toy. I just got I just got an Omega Wave. I'm so excited to use this thing. It's cool. I get to hook it up to people. I get numbers. This guy's toast. This guy's peaked. This guy's ready to go. This guy sucks. Um, and you try to change too much. Like you, you try to make big, massive alterations to training or performance when really what you're looking for in data is – you're looking for that 1%, half percent, where can I tweak a little here? Where do I have to step back a little bit there? Um, you know, you, you talk to guys that have done this for better part of 10 years. People over like in Australia, like uh, Jason Weber and Darren Burgess jumped to mind. They're, they're two of the best practitioners of this that, that I know of. And they advocate that all the time. You know, you don't walk in and, and tell the coach all these massive changes that your data is telling you that they need to make. You start out very, very, very small. Maybe it's something as simple as, hey, maybe we don't run individual today a practice for 45 minutes. Maybe we only run it for 40. And if you can get a coach to agree to that, that's a massive win. Because if you extrapolate that over a year, if you cut that back every week, by the end of the season, you've cut out hours of volume that you know the, the guys don't need. Yeah, and that's huge. You know, And especially when you look <laughs> at, at team sports here, especially since the whole idea seems to be more, 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 more. If you can get people, and this is whatever tool you use, if you can get people to see that sometimes less <clears throat> is more, that that's great. But at the same time, sometimes there's teams that actually do need more right. things to, to be picked up on. Um, you know, and that's awesome that the that you say it that way because when you look at bringing in a new piece of technology, I mean, even something as simple as utilizing heart rate, sure, or even session RPE, even even simpler. I mean, it may not be something where you actually look and you say, "Well, today was day one," and Jimmy said, "Holy shnikes, it was a nine. And Jesse said it was a four, you know, like it may be something where you need to back off and just be like, uh, let's see what the hand plays before we start, you know, throwing right, spades. Let's take a step back even from that. Jay. Let's go back and say, okay, <clears throat> well, what if well, I forgot the two names just so to say Jesse was a nine. Yeah. That, Jesse was a four and Jimmy was a nine. All right. Well, let's say Jimmy's just a nine all the time. Let's say that that's just what Jimmy thinks. Jimmy thinks everything's hard. He's that athlete. We all know who they are. Every team has them. And then the other guy who's a four, he's the guy that, you know, he could get one of his feet shot off and he'd still say he's fine. So there in and of itself, you have to find your own level of norm. So we established that one of them's normally a nine and one of them's normally a four. So so even there, like you said, you, you got to pump the brakes first and understand 
do the athletes even know what they're telling you yet? I mean, there's a whole learning curve in that in and of itself. Yeah, that's an, that's an awesome point. And that learning curve in and of itself is magnified infinitely when you start bringing in the massive amount of data that you can collect <laughs> from the catapult, from the Omega Wave, from, I mean, even heart rate monitors when you aren't getting hundreds of pieces of data, even if it's only, you know, I, I think that the the report for the team at the end of the day is going to be like five or six pieces of information. That's still a lot. I mean, you got to yeah. pump your brakes even more with those things. Mm-hmm. Well, no, like you said, you can collect all the toys in the world, you know, from conversations I've had with guys over in Europe that have all the toys in the world. They have toys that we don't even know that are not mainly public knowledge here in the United States, but... I always ask them, all right, so you have all these things, all these things pulled together. How much would you actually use or how many, how many points do you actually look at to make those changes on a day-to-day basis? And they all come back three to five things. That's it. It's three to five. It might be slightly different three to five things. There's usually consistently you know, one or two are the same across the board from what I've seen, but they boil it down to three or five things. And you can't have 15 things you're trying to change every day. You go berserk. And more importantly, your coach would never listen to you. You're never going to change 15 things at practice. Right. You're not going to. So then I guess, what would your advice be when people are starting to look at these things? I get my, my biggest advice is would be two things. One, be open-minded. Go back to a point of just accepting that you don't know anything and trying to evaluate everything completely from a, an infant state. Um, my best example of that is, <clears throat> and I'm biased towards this too, like football coaches, well, not just football, soccer coaches, any coach, they're going to default to distance. I want to know, well, how far did he run today? How fast did he run today? Speed, all right, so max velocity and distance. Everyone always wants to know that. And I'm not saying that <clears throat> you don't need to know distance, but with all these other things now that we can look at with athletes, is that really the best thing to be looking at? And I equate it to, if you're going to go buy a used car, and the car has 50,000 miles on it, okay, and you're talking to the guy, what's one of the first questions you ask about the car? All right, well, was it mainly highway driving? Are we just, you know, cruising along at 65? Or is it 50,000 miles of stop-and-go L.A. traffic, you know, and you got hit in the fender three to four times in there? Because that's a completely different vehicle. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was, I was tracking um, some football players at one of the bowl games, and I looked at the running back and the quarterback on the same team. In the fourth quarter, by the fourth quarter, the running back had 800 fewer yards total distance than the quarterback. Okay, they run like an option offense. So the quarterback's running around moving. But the running back had 160% greater player load than the quarterback did. Why? Because he's cutting laterally. He is getting hit. He's hitting other people. He's accelerating way more than the quarterback. The quarterback's yards rider because, you know, he ropes out, goes wide on the pocket, or he'll do a young run up the sideline. The running back is always XL, stop, cut, go. Stuff we know increases metabolic cost, increases eccentric muscle tension, increases um, muscle damage, changes recovery time. <clears throat> so I would argue I would much rather look at things like player load. How many accelerations does the guy have? What's his change of direction? as opposed to ever looking at distance. 
And that's something I had to learn because I came into this when I first started looking at data. I go, oh, how far did he go? What's his volume? And, and to me now, I, I try not to look at that. I try to look at other things first. So I guess that would be my <clears throat> number one thing is saying keep an open mind. My second point I would really always advocate with data is slow down. Like, again, everyone gets the new toy. You want to open it at Christmas and you want to, you know, take the new remote control car out front and rev it up and go, right? Oh, yeah. But, but first, if you don't know how you're going to, like, actually, 21st century now, we can use drones. Forget the toy car. <clears throat> you can fly this sucker now, right? Those things are tricky, though. So if you don't take your time learning how to fly this, you're going to fly it into a tree over a fence. You're never going to get it back. Data is the same thing. <clears throat> if you don't take your time, collect data, establish your baselines, you're just as likely to run your athlete into the ground or really hold him back from performing at his best because you could be making decisions on, on an incomplete picture. And I know that is the hardest thing to do. Believe me, I get it. And it's hard for me to sit here when I see certain things because I tell myself, I still don't know. I might think I might have an inclination towards this, but it's a coin flip right now. So... I know everything in the United States and just human nature in general is, I want it yesterday, but data will never work like that. The longer you collect, the more accurate your picture gets. So from that, always be willing then to, if you think you know something after two years of data and you keep collecting and all of a sudden that picture, it's getting a little fuzzier. It's no longer as clear. And by year four, you're like, huh, yeah, that actually was wrong before. Don't be afraid to say it was wrong. I mean, you weren't wrong at the time. You made the best decision you had with the data, but... Be willing to change. So I'll keep an open mind and go slow. My two my two long-winded points. Yeah, I think that's – and I think that they almost kind of are like married, you know, because if you don't have an open mind, you're going to be diving into things right away and you're not going to be able to take a step back. I mean, like if we look at the tech that I'm able to use, I mean, it took us the better part of four and a half years before we ate were really – able to take our morning readiness reading with Omega Wave and now look at it and be like, hey, so we've got a pretty good idea. If we're looking at this parts, then this kind of matches up with these things. So when we put them together, now, well, maybe we alter what we're doing in the weight room. Or we look at these things over here and we kind of look at those in conjunction with this part over here. And now, well, if we're supposed to be out running, Maybe it's B instead of A, or maybe it's C instead of B, or whatever it may be. And I think that that's something where a lot of people have a hard time kind of bringing it into themselves, where they want to be like, like you said, you know, I mean, like your toys are always so shiny on Christmas, you want to get out there and be like, oh, goody, let's go play. I mean, like, drones are really easy to crash. I mean, that's the one thing that I know, because... Our, our SIDs have one, and they've now become very good at landing them, but I, I saw it crash a few times. And Not easy. No, no, it really isn't, and you'd think it would be. I mean, it's like a weird-looking helicopter that's upside down, but, right. I mean, they, they wreck all the time. I mean, even if it's something where you <clears throat> look at, like, questionnaires or perceived RPE and using that to determine training load and something as simple as staleness and, you know, overall workload for the week to sit there and to just start jumping because one day's higher or all of a sudden there's a couple days that are the same. Like you almost do need to sit back and, and, and wait 
because trends don't show up in three days. Trends show up in three years. And that's when things start to become exciting. Yep. You know, you've got to pitch it more as, and that's the problem, right, is uh, the tools to get data aren't cheap. Period. I mean, anything. I mean, even a polar heart rate, like Team 2 system, that's not cheap. I mean, you still have to, you're not going to whip out your checkbook and nonchalantly, you know, out of your own pocket, say, hey, I want these from one of my teams. Like, none of it's cheap. And it's hard to rationalize that to uh, the ops, right? The people are going to sign off on this. <clears throat> the general managers, owners, um, athletic directors, head coaches, whoever the actual, you know, person is that makes the decision. And you just got to frame it the more as, well, coach, hey, Yep, you're right. I'm going to ask you for $100,000 for this. And you know what? The first year, it's not going to give us anything. But I can guarantee you by year two, we're going to make your money back because we're going to keep players on the field more. We're going to win one more football game. We're going to improve the quality of the student-athlete. We will gain that equity back, so we'll be at neutral by year two. By year three, we're making money. But it's really hard, I understand that, to go to someone and convince them to give you till year three. Yeah. Um, and that's honestly, that's a cultural thing. That's, that's the other big thing I would harp on this is <clears throat> continuing to work on the culture aspect of using data and having different coaches being open to sharing aspects of what they do with their data. It doesn't have to be all really secretive. Sure, there are certain things that you will find if you have your data set that are advantageous for you and you bust your butt, and you were the one with the open mind, and you took the time to collect the data, and by all means, don't share those. But if we're talking really basic stuff in terms of like, hey, how do you approach a coach? And were you successful? Were they receptive to what you said? Would you have done it differently? I mean, these are things as a profession that we can help each other out with and really move this forward because that's where this needs to transition to. You know, we're raising the bar of what we do as professionals in strength, condition, and performance, which I think is a great thing. Um, so I think there's definitely that room there as well to really progress it in terms of data analysis and what you can apply. Oh, I couldn't agree any more with that. And I, the only part that I might argue a little bit with is I do understand that people put in a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of work. And I'm not saying that like a guy who's put in you know, the better part of five, ten years with Catapult and Omega Wave, like a Dave Tenney should just one day write an article in you know, the NSCA journal and say, these are the logarithms that we came up with and everyone should have these. I'm not saying that because that's not, you're right, that's not fair. He's kind of the front runner, you know. There's like him and then there's Eric, mm -hmm. you know, and you know now guys like Andrew who are the front runners in, in the U.S. when it comes to things like that. But I do think that if at all possible, when you do have something that you're willing to share, it should be. And I, the reason I think it should be is there should be some sort of, before we did X, we were at A. And after we, did, we implemented X, we were at B. Now, of course, X may not be the completely undefined, under, you know, variable under all of it that makes things 100% beautiful. And, you know, you have San Diego weather every day in Minneapolis forever, you know, which <coughs> would, oh, would basically be the end of the world. But anyway, if, uh, if we're not willing to share and to say, I did X, 
and it led to Y, then I think that we do kind of slow the progress of the profession, you know? But again, like, I think that the people that do do the heavy lifting early should be able to stand on the stage by themselves. You know what I mean? And, and I think, like you said, <clears throat> I totally agree. I mean, and that comes back to, I think, the artistic part, right? You have, you can have two coaches that have the exact same data set. They've got the same toys. They get the same printout for the same game they just played. One guy's been looking at it for 10 years. One guy, it's his first day on the job. To a certain extent, it doesn't even matter if the guy that's been doing this 10 years walks over and tells the guy that's been on the job for a day exactly what he's been doing over there because the newbie won't be able to grasp it, right? He'll still be struggling with his own biases, his preconceived notions, because he hasn't gone through the learning process, you know? I could have the exact same set of paints in front of me, you know, that um, he used to paint the Mona Lisa. And if he walked over and told me exactly where to put my brush and how to do it, it's going to end up looking like a stick figure. I guarantee it, because I have no artistic ability whatsoever. So it's kind of that feeling it out. I agree with you. It's an interesting question, because how do, how do you broach that? Like, how do, you, how do you approach and start to have those conversations where it's a helping out for the betterment of the community and just, again, learning curve for everyone without giving away the stuff that, like you said, you've worked really, really hard for for five years and you've put in the work for? Well, I think it needs to be in a situation where it's give and take. You know, where, like at the seminar, where all of you guys are going to talk about, hey, you know what? This is what I do. These are the things I've changed. This is what I do different. And these are the results I got. Because it needs to be in a situation where it's sharing. Because, you know... Like, let's say we just put you and Cal up there, and Cal says, listen, this is what triphasic stuff we're doing now, this is how I've altered it at the U, blah, blah, blah. And you say, well, you know, we did these, this research over here, and we found, instead of it being QRS, you know, we're, you know, LMNOP over here, or whatever it may be. Well, now we can open a discussion, and I think that it comes back to the idea of, Educated talks no longer are arguments. They're discussions. Yep. You know, and it's it's really important that we have those discussions and we're able to sit there and say, Wow, you know what? That little tweak worked great for Ben. Maybe it would work great for Cal. Maybe it wouldn't work great for me. Maybe it would work great at Michigan Tech with Matt Tomey. But it wouldn't work great at Wisconsin with Snides. You know, right. like, but to be able to look at things that are being done similarly, with just little tweaks, then we can start to say, oh, well, maybe there is a better way. Right. Because it's usually I, I, not a big change. Right. I had two things. So first of all, to your point, like, if you just had me and Cal talking at your conference, no one would come, trust me, because God would that be god-awful boring. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be sweaty. It would oh, be very God. sweaty. I tell you what, though, you know, we'd stand up there and talk for hours. You know, we would. But God, you know, everyone should just leave. Go to the bar. Uh, but I mean, you're exactly right, and and that goes back to again, of it. Every place isn't going to be exactly the same, right? Like the stuff that Dave does up in Seattle, man, he has that thing running like a top. But I doubt that if you took that exact same system and put it with a number MLS team, it's not going to work, or it won't work as well because it's different players. 
Um, and you look, you look through history. I mean, get, let's get out of sports science. Let's get into like the evolution of computers. So I just read the book, The Innovators. Everyone should read that, by the way. Fantastic book. It's about the evolution of the computer, the internet, all that stuff. And, you know, there were six, seven people that were invited in the microchip at the same time in the computer all around the world. Okay. There were like four people that were doing it individually by themselves in a garage. No outside help. There were two factions that were working in a group. They had engineers, they had programmers, they had electricians. Guess who invented the best working computer? The two groups that had a bunch of people communicating, offering different ideas, different ways to blend different stuff. They were all trying to solve the same problem, and they all did to a certain extent. But what we're currently talking on the modern day computer came out of those other two shops, the ones that were open to talking, open to sharing, finding different ways to get around, because we all have the same problems. We all have, I don't know how to communicate with the head coach. I don't know if I'm getting the right data set. I don't know if I'm collecting this properly. I don't know if my periodization scheme's right. These are all problems that all of us have. So let's talk about them. Because maybe, like you said, Jay, maybe what you tweaked down at Virginia something that, hey, I had never thought of it like that. I should maybe try that. But I'm going to try that, and I'm going to tweak it with a triphasic scheme that I saw Cal do at Minnesota, because I think that's going to fit best for what my guys do. That's... Yeah, and that's exactly what we're trying to get out of the seminar is it's an open platform where we're trying to get people to talk and share ideas and talk about what exactly they saw, you know, and to kind of bring it back full circle, you know, when, when we look at the entire monitoring spectrum and this whole brand new idea of sports science, the team model in the whole scenario coming together is going to build the better team. It's going to build the better computer. And everybody communicating and then taking a step back and saying, what's it best for the kids or the team or the men or the women or whoever you work with? I mean, if it's the dogs and the Iditarod, whatever. Taking a step back, looking at the stuff, finding out what's important, classifying what's important, and basing your decisions off that. Imagine that. People working together with good information brings about the best product. And, you know, that's where other, other models I see around the world, that's where we're getting beat. You know, you go other places, and that's what it is, right? People can communicate. The U.S. model, we work out of, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing this from Dave Tenney because it's an amazing example of what we do. And he explains it as, U.S. team sport is built in silos. I've got a silo of my strength conditioning staff, okay? We, anything in the weight room, it's our little world, we're going to do whatever we want. Then we've got this silo over here, which is like the sports medicine staff, the training staff. Then you have the coaching staff in a completely different silo. And an athlete might be in any one silo at any one time, right? But once they leave that silo, there's no communication back and forth to pass that athlete off, so we make sure we're going in a positive fashion. And, and it's just, it's, it's, a lack of, uh, it's a lack of communication, just like you said, I can't put any better than that. But being open to that model and just talking and figuring out ways to integrate that and using data as a huge part of that is is instrumental, and, and that's where everyone else around the world has success with it. Ben, I think that's an awesome point to leave it at, and I really thank you for being on today, sharing some of your awesome knowledge. This was great, buddy. Thank you. Oh, well, AJ, thanks for having me on. I always appreciate it. Always good conversation. Looking forward to coming down for the conference. We've got quite the lineup. I don't know what I'm going to talk about yet, but I'm certainly going to enjoy listening to everybody else. Uh, we're real excited, buddy. Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk soon, pal. All right. Thanks, Jay. Take care. See ya.